Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Welcome to this Thursday morning edition of Daybreak Devotions as we gather together once again around the Word of God, Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you as well. We're coming to you from the McLeansville Baptist Church right over here in the growing metropolis of McLeansville, North Carolina. And that's not even being facetious. We're growing. Well, of course we are. I mean, are we, I forget where I was out driving the other day, but I mean, they're clearing off land, getting ready to put up some more um, it looks like a housing development or apartment complex. I mean, we've got it's it's just it's a booming place right now. High demand. I, I that's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, depending on where you catch a fella. I mean, you know, it's a good thing. People are moving in. That's people that we're going to be called to minister to. So that's good. Sure. But boy, I tell you, it it sometimes works over a guy's heart to see all that field farm and and woods being laid bare, bulldozed down. Cement being poured, it's it's a bittersweet thing. It won't be that way in eternity. No, it will not. We'll all be living in tree houses. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe hovels. Maybe we'll have some hobbit holes going on. Something like that. It'll be beautiful. One with No nature. need for air conditioning. It'll all be natural. It's going to be a like a perpetual Medellin, Colombia atmosphere. Is that a good thing? Well, you remember when we were there a few years ago on our mission trip, our missionary, Brother Santa Bria, said it's known as the the city of eternal spring because it's pretty much always 75 degrees year-round. Well, I have to admit, I would like to see some snow, even in eternity. That's what the mountains are for. Okay. You can go visit it, enjoy it, relish in it, and then leave it. I guess it. I guess if it's going to be perfect, you got to have the availability of all wonderful, beautiful things at all times. Yes, all right, well, back to Psalm 119 and the, the happy present here and now. We are in verse 137 through 144 today as we continue our journey through learning the way of the devout heart, the way of holiness as we are known to refer to it as also. And today we're going to be looking at this thought, reliance on the righteousness of God. I guess the connection that we that we see or understand God's word is not disassociated from his character right truth God is truth he didn't just write a book of truth he is truth so when we are in the word of God we are in the very nature of God now a lot of words could be used in place of righteousness we could say you know God's holiness and all that but in the context of course he starts out in verse 137, righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. So God's character, just like his judgments, his decrees, his word, all of it is righteous. Now, why then, or how does that make it reliable? We know it's never going to fail. Mm-hmm. We go right back to Matthew 7, and we referenced this yesterday, the day before, whichever. Jesus said, if you build your house on my teaching, you're building on a rock. You've got solid foundation. You can trust it. Uh, you build on anything else. It may work a while, a season or two, mm-hmm. but you can be sure that when a sizable enough storm comes, it's going to collapse. I can't, I can't help but think, 
We've been getting our children some of these things called magnetiles. Basically, they're they're flat magnetic quote unquote building blocks, but you can connect them and do all sorts of things. But my children are young enough that we're we're teaching the the part of you can build a really tall tower that'll look really cool, but if you do it very narrow, as soon as your two year old brother comes through and barely bumps it, it's going to come shattering down. You're better off to have a more solid foundation spread out, anchor it, give it some stability. That way it's not as quick and easy to fall over. It's a more sure foundation as you're building up that big tower. That's Mm. the righteousness of the Word of God. It's that more sure foundation. Think about all we've been talking about throughout this whole study. The adversities, the storms that are going to come, the the attacks from the enemy that you're going to face. I mean... Whatever it is that we're building in our life is going to come under some assault. We need the anchoring in of the truth of God and his righteousness and his goodness to have any hope to build. Think about how much application that little story has. The people that want to go high, really high, really fast they are typically the ones that come crashing down. And that, that's in relationships, um, sports, athletes, yep. you know, churches, colleges. Yeah, and I... I I've had small parts to play in very small things, but they they also had that same driving philosophy behind them, some some people in leadership behind the ideas. Let's do this and let's go from zero to a hundred. You We're know, try to catch lightning in a bottle is the yeah, old phraseology. And it doesn't last long. Nope. It just there's no there's no stickability. So I'm glad we can build our lives on the righteousness of God's character and his truth, his judgments. Uh, the second verse, I'll read it. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. So that's the, the crux of this thing. And here's a, here's a point to make from the very beginning. At our very best, we are not so good. Look at verse 139. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies hath forgotten thy words. Now, however you want to interpret and apply that, his emotions are getting out of hand. Yep. Now, he's he's zealous toward God's word, but... You know, he's, he's letting that kind of drive him a little bit. And, and, you know, that zeal can be good, but misplaced can do damage. Verse 141, I am small and despised, yet do I not forget thy precepts. Now, the great thing about that, I was studying on this word just briefly again today, contrition. That's a contrite heart right there, the one that can say, I am small and despised. He recognizes within himself limitations, and sometimes the way that he is feeling or treated will come from the fact of just the fact that, well, I, I'm not altogether right, mm-hmm. you know? And then verse 143, he says, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delight. So he's acknowledging those problems you're referring to earlier. So even at our best, and when we're doing our best, we're, we're not so good, but as we learn to lean into the righteous righteousness of God and the reliability of his word, we will continue to make progress on this journey. So overall, that's the point that I would make in today's study. Let me say it all again without interrupting myself. I just feel compelled to do that. We're looking at the reliance on the righteousness of God. At our best, we are not so good. But as we learn to lean into the righteousness of God and the reliability of his word, we will continue to make progress on the journey. And that's what we're after. Yeah, Progress is key. I brought in... I haven't read from Streams in the Desert in a while. Mm-mm. Boy, this has been a fantastic book. Have I recommended this yet? A time or two. Well, you got to get this, folks. I'm going all the way back to February the 20th. 
where it says, Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, nothing shall be impossible unto you. I'll take a moment and just read this. I'm going to read the whole thing. Let us have it. I can't decide on just a section or two to read, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Start to finish. And uh, then if we, you know, we might have a song or something. We don't know. We'll see what happens. It is possible for those who really are willing to reckon on the power of the Lord for keeping and victory to lead a life in which his promises are taken as they stand and are found to be true. It is possible to cast all our care upon him daily and to enjoy deep peace in doing it. It is possible to have the thoughts and imaginations of our hearts purified in the deepest meaning of the word. It is possible to see the will of God in everything and to receive it not with sighing but with singing. It is possible by taking complete refuge in divine power to become strong through and through and where previously our greatest weakness lay to find that things which formerly upset all our resolves to be patient or pure or humble furnish today an opportunity through him who loved us and works in us an agreement with his will and a blessed sense of his presence and his power to make sin powerless over us. These things are divine possibilities, and because they are his work, the true experience of them will always cause us to bow lower at his feet and to learn to thirst and long for more. We cannot possibly be satisfied with anything less each day, each hour, each moment in Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit than to walk with God. I, I say it all the time, I know. You're listening to me read this. It would be so much more powerful for you to look at it yourself. So for those of you who have not got a copy of Streams in the Desert by Mrs. Charles E. Cowman, go out and get one, order it. They'll deliver it to your house overnight. Yep. Maybe. But this is the February 20th devotion. That that I just read was by an H.C.G. Mole. H.C.G. Mole. I don't, I don't know who that is exactly. But I'll tell you, I like him or her, whoever it is. I like him. It's definitely a good thought because it sounds like it's possible to have victory, but your victory does require something of you. Yes. And it's what we've been talking about, that that saturation in God's Word, that thirst and that hunger for it above all else. I don't know of any kind of victory that comes easy. I mean, I know we have victory in Jesus. That, you know, it didn't cost me anything, but it cost Jesus everything. Okay, on the surface, yes, but if we're really going to enter into the victory that Jesus offers us, it absolutely costs us something. It's difficult, and there's some work that goes into acquiring it, a total relenting of any control of our life and a firm adherence to everything, every instruction, every commandment, every direction that he's bringing into our life. We latch onto that above all else, and we pursue it vehemently. And I was going to share something else, but you just... Got to work off of that a minute because that may sound overwhelming. You know, well, Brother Corey said we got to we got to obey every command. We got to do everything. We got to. But you got to understand something, folks. God's not laying everything on you at once. Right. The point is not I got to get everything right right now. The point is get right right now what God is laying on you. Yes. And that is where the trouble is. And the reality is, is we're not an all or nothing people. Because we're not really interested in trying to get it all done. But we ought to get interested in in taking the one thing God is serving us right now. What is God asking of us right now? 
This is the alignment, and there's nothing further, no further progress in our life until we've made that alignment. Listen to this. Somebody named McLaurin said, We may have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us take all that we want. If a man is admitted into the bullion vault of a bank and told to help himself and comes out with one cent, whose fault is that that he is poor? Whose fault is it that Christian people generally have such scanty portions of the free riches of God? <laughs> You're making <Wow>. faces. <laughs> I mean, that's that's convicting. That's what they call hard preaching. <laughs> Absolutely, because that that all of a sudden shifts the quote-unquote blame or fault, whatever terminology you want to use, and places it squarely on my shoulders. I can't complain, well... But my life circumstances, well, you don't know this, that, or the other. Friends, the trials of life, I understand some people have, have walked extremely difficult paths of life. But the truth of what was just read was that God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, has given us access to all of himself. It's no one's fault but our own if we choose to settle and be satisfied with elementary level access to the presence of God when he has offered to us complete and total immersion into all that he is. Well, I was, and, and all of that leads me to this thought. As I was reading over these verses again, I was noticing, because we're talking about the character of God, but I'm noticing the character of this writer. There is a confidence that, that just permeates out of this writing confidence and strength you could call it meekness and it should be if we have genuine confidence and strength there should be meekness with it mm -hmm. always we're always being worked on right but what i think this guy would be considered as by some people as an arrogant hypocrite yep i mean who could say something like that who could say my zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. What an arrogant cuss. I'm the only one that's left loving your word, God. Everybody else has Bunch hated of compromisers. it. compromisers. Yep. I promise you the person that's making those statements is probably a compromiser. Yes. And I don't want to... Uh, there he goes again. But I'm saying, generally, that is not the spirit of this psalm writer. They may not be a compromiser, because I don't think Elijah would be a compromiser, and he made similar statements. But at the very least, they're not right with God in that present moment. They're compromised. Yes. And I, and let me be clear, I wasn't even affiliating or thinking of Elijah when I said that. I was just thinking of them preachers that get up and call everybody compromisers. Right. But there's a difference between that and a guy who says, with confidence, thy word, I'm in verse 40, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. There he is describing God's character, God's word. Trouble and anguish have taken hold of me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. He is The reason he has the confidence and the strength that he has is he is relying on the righteousness of God and his word, mm -hmm. that, that he's drawing it from that. So this is not a man who's arrogant or cocky. This is a man who's not afraid to stand in the truth that is defining his life. He has staked his claim on the word of God and nothing else. That's a good, 
That's a good old uh, old West analogy. Yes. Staking his claim. It's there, and, and he knows. I, I don't have anything else to hang my hat on. This, this is it. This is, this is my everything. It is my priority. He re- mentions in earlier passages throughout this psalm, this is my hope. This is my guidance. If you haven't picked up by the end of verse 144 that this guy is completely reliant on God's word, well, buckle up. There's still about 30 more verses left. Maybe it'll become clear by then. But he is definitely saying pr- proudly in the right source, in the right use of the word, proudly that, God, it's not me. It's not my thoughts. It's not my ideas. It is you, your goodness, your righteousness, and your word which will sustain me. Well, let's, uh, let's break this thing down a little bit. All right. So I look at the first two verses. We've already read them both. But I look at that and I see, in other words, what we're after here is how did this guy get this kind of confidence? How did he get to this strong reliance? Well, the first thing that we learn from him is that we should become familiar enough with God's word that we know the nature of God's word. It's not enough to be a casual listener. I think yesterday we referenced James chapter 1, and he that continueth therein. This guy was very familiar with God's Word. Therefore, he knew the nature of it. That gives him confidence. God's Word is as true and right and just and unshakable as God himself is. And, you know, way back in Psalm 119, verse 89 through 96, we had the same basic theme. You know, forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. Seems like we were just there, but it's been a little while. But he has that unshakable confidence in it. And as we learn God's Word, and that we learn the nature of God's Word, we grow in all these same ways in our life. Think about this. Jesus teaches us something in John chapter 5, verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He that heareth my word... And believeth. And then in verse 39 and 40 of that same chapter, Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. That connection between the word and the nature of God mm-hmm. himself. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Now, I think I said something about this not long ago. What's amazing about that passage? This is a rabbit trail. But it does connect back to the confidence of the writer. How can he stand and, and act so bold about it? Well, number one, read everything. He acknowledges several times in here how incapable he is, how small he is. Mm-hmm. On his own, he's nothing. But how can he stand with that confidence? So the connection I was making, Jesus is saying that in John 5 to the Pharisees, the people who knew the Scripture's better than anybody. And he said, you're reading the Scriptures, but you don't know how to read the Scriptures. Yeah. You're not getting anything out of it. You're missing the entire point of it. They're telling you about me, but you won't come to me. And I, I just believe there's a lot of that that applies still today in our modern religious movements. If we do not know the nature and the person of God, we cannot fully know the Word of God and what He's saying. And I, I think about it like this. If if I hear something that somebody says that kind of rubs me the wrong way, 
like, man, that, that kind of sounded harsh or, or rude and kind of just doesn't set well with me. But if I know their character and I know their person, okay, I know they wouldn't have actually said that and meant it the way that I'm interpreting it right now. It enables me to sit through and process, okay, what could they have actually been saying? Not because of the words necessarily themselves, but because I know the nature of the person that said the words. The same thing is true right here. If I know that God is righteous in all things, that he is nothing but good, then when I read his word or when something kind of seems like, man, I, I don't know how to take that. Well, I know that I can take it good because God is always righteous. And if it doesn't set well with me, but I know the character of God, that must mean that I'm the one that's at fault or in, that's the problem there. And I need to do some examination because God is not an error. How do you read the Bible? It's a question that Jesus asked the, the, the uh, Pharisees a lot, you know. And I, I heard someone speaking to that a couple of weeks ago in some format, and I don't remember exactly how it was represented, but in terms of how we read the Scriptures, the intent behind the Bible is not that we read it with our own thoughts and applications. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens a lot. Even preachers can do that. You know, we could, we could read the Scriptures and get some good thoughts out of them and then want to share those thoughts. But... That won't be the best. The best will be to get what God is trying to shape in us. It is literally to learn to read the Bible in such a way that, well, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but it's really to come to where the Bible is reading us, and we are submitting to what it is saying to us. And I guess that would be my second takeaway from even verse 139 and 140. The Word of God is not a thing to possess, but it is a truth to be possessed by. Mm-hmm. So when he says, my zeal hath consumed me because my enemies have forgotten thy words, in a way he can't help himself. I mean, this is like David against Goliath right here. You, that, I can't just stand by and not say anything and not do anything. Sounds a lot like Jesus in the temple as well. Yes, it does. The zeal of my father's house hath consumed me. And it does. <laughs> Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. He's, he's really just compelled by it. you know. So the word of God is not a thing to possess, but it is a truth to be possessed by. So zeal and love, those are the words he uses. He doesn't just have a nice collection of scrolls that he can bring out for show and tell. This is the definition of his life. He is, as he describes here, he is moved by the word of God. He is possessed by the word of God. There are many places we could go if we had time. I jotted the few down in my notes, and we won't turn there, but Psalm 1830 uh, is his defense. Psalm 19.8, it's his delight. 1 Peter 2.2, it's his desire. You know, uh, that's the word Peter says, to to taste and see the Lord is good. You desire the sincere milk of the word. So he is is taken over by this. And I I know this is true, okay? So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. That can be hard. For some people to take when someone is consumed by God's word. Now, I want to say something here. That is not a merit badge to pin on the man. Mm-hmm. So, so it's important not to misunderstand that statement. What you have well laid out in this section is the partnership between the grace of God and the effort of man working together. The man, with all, he can have all the zeal he wants to have. Apart from God's grace, he will be nothing. Right. 
And what will happen to someone who has decided that they are giving themselves to God wholly is when God needs them, God will take charge of them and he will use them wholly. And that is a powerful and miraculous thing that is not understood. Well, as Paul said, it's, it's spiritually discerned. It's not understood by the natural man. So you cannot discern the work of God by the strength of the natural man. You've got to have the spiritual discernment. That's what it means to be possessed by the truth. Number three, Verse 141, 142, I am small and despised, yet do I not forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. He is resolved to stay in the word of God as the power, purpose, and the position of his life. I am small, thy word is great. I am weak, your truth is the unbreakable law. Peter said the same thing. Will ye also go away, Jesus asked. Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Mm Mm-hmm. I have decided that my power, purpose, and position will be centered in the Word of God. That will define my life. And real quickly, I'll say this and give you the parting words. But I close it out, verse 143, 144, basically saying to us, they're telling us that rest and refreshment are always ours to enjoy in God's commandments. And my mind goes straight back to Psalm 23. You know, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us in the place where our soul gets restoration. And that is God's intent all along. I'll give you one more verse, Psalm 119 and verse 16, way back. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. In all things, we can trust Jesus. We can trust the Father. We can trust the leading of the Spirit. He may lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23 says. But we can know that on the other side of that valley is the still waters, the refreshing pastures, the land of rest, and the peace that comes that on, that we can only attain by completely following him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Yes, it is. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com. 